the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to the cross of Christ, specifically what happens there on Golgotha? We'll explore that question next here on today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Phil Howard. So what actually happens on the cross? Well, certainly an innocent man dies, God dies, but what is really taking place there? Well, today on Truth For Today, Pastor Emeritus Phil Howard will take us back to the crucifixion as we see the curse of God. That's right, there's a curse here, a curse that began at the beginning of time, a curse that needed to be dealt with. And Christ is the only one sufficient to do just that. With today's broadcast of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil. Turn to John 19. Turn there, and then I want to read a passage for you out of 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Christ since we're in the book of John. Today I'll be trying to describe those events from the four Gospels, because no one Gospel gives us the whole picture. Uh, It's like you've got four different cameramen, and they have four different audiences. Uh, Matthew wrote to the Jews, uh, Mark most likely to the Romans, uh, Luke to the Gentile world, John uh, most likely Jews as the audience. Uh, But you've got these four portraits of Christ, and we come to the cross event, uh, I want to go through the narrative today. Next week, I'll start dealing with why the cross. What did the cross accomplish? Did, because we can reenact and rehearse his death all day and never know the message. See, uh, I think of how many uh, Mexican people in Mexico and in the Philippines can reenact the crucifixion with such blood and gruesome uh, graphic detail that it, uh, Mel Gibson can do it, right? But you can see Mel Gibson every day for a year and never get the message. It's more than blood and gore. What was it about? And that we'll be addressing in the following sermons. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now remember, Corinth is about 40 miles south of Athens, the intellectual capital of the world. Aristotle, Socrates, all the great philosophers of the day, they operate up here in Athens. Corinth is associated with the wisdom capital of the world. And he says, you know what? When we preach the cross in Athens, it's called a laughingstock foolishness. How can God save anybody through a plunging, slaughtered son? 
It's the most absurd message in the world. How can God populate heaven with a beaten pulp of a man so bloodied and so swollen that Isaiah said nobody could recognize who he was on the cross? That is ugly. That is bad. The face swollen, bleeding, caked blood. How can this save anybody? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Get a PhD in philosophy, and you most likely still won't know God. No matter how smart you get, he said, by wisdom, the world did not know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Only those who believe the message of the cross get saved. You don't get saved because of your IQ and how smart you are. The wise men of this age, he said, had they have known who they were crucifying, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8. The wise men killed the wisdom of God. The wise men nailed omniscience to a cross. The powerful men nailed omnipotence to a cross. For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called and saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The weakest thing God ever did saves us. The most foolish thing God ever did in the eyes of the world was the wisdom that populated heaven. Don't be impressed with the world's method. They worship wisdom, so-called wisdom, so-called strength. God says, I'm going to do it just the opposite. I'm going to get so weak, my son dies the death of a criminal, and it's going to look so foolish, he's going to be crucified next to the city dump of Jerusalem, and that will be the way I pay for sinners going to heaven. So Paul says in Galatians, I will only boast in the cross. Now let's look at the narrative and we will move quickly through it so we get the flow of things. Christ has been tried. We're looking at the last six hours of his life. Now look, the night before, he took the Passover with his disciples. While he's there, Judas has left, has sold him out, and he's going to bring the guards to arrest Jesus. Jesus goes from the upper room, goes across the Kidron Valley, goes into uh, what is known as Gethsemane, the olive grove, where he prayed often across from the Kidron. And while he's there, he's praying, probably prayed at least three hours, because he asked, could you not pray with me an hour? Stay awake. Don't swing your sword. Just make it to the prayer meeting. And they can't pass the test of prayer. And so he's there for maybe three hours. We're probably getting close to midnight. In the night, they come and they uh, arrest him. They take him before uh, Annas, one of the uh, former high priests, the father-in-law of the present Caiaphas, who's in office. 
And so they go there, three trials, before Annas, Caiaphas, the next morning, the Sanhedrin. We must kill him. They take him then to Pilate. Pilate tries him, and he said, where is he from? Galilee. I don't want to rule on this case, because I don't find him guilty. Sends him to Herod Antipas, whose rulership was over Galilee. Herod sends him back. I don't find him guilty. Stands before Pilate again five times. Pilate says, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And they says, you must release somebody we ask for. We want Barabbas to be set free, a murderer, an insurrectionist, but you've got to kill this man. And so Pilate washes his hands as though he's innocent of the death, and he goes along with them. Now, we come to the cross. We come to him going. They first give him the scourging that, according to Josephus and other writers, often exposed the intestines of his 39 stripes with bone and lead that ripped all the meat off the bones. Most men died under it. And uh, so his lungs could have been exposed. He, uh, his intestines from the back could have been exposed. Bones certainly were. And so now they say, carry the crossbar of the cross to your own death. And they start out towards the cross, and he begins to stumble. He's too weak to carry it. And they see a man, Simon, from Cyrene. It's believed that this Simon was the father of Rufus, who's mentioned to the Roman church in Romans 16. Probably led his boy to the Lord. But here he is, bearing the cross for this pulverized Savior, whose back looks like men plowed him under. So, they go. And uh, on the way, it says, as they're going out there, before this, the soldiers had stripped him, Matthew said, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, put a staff in his hand, and hailed him as king of the Jews, mocking. This I never noticed before in the narrative. They spit on him and took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again and again. Now he's been scourged. Now take a wooden club and keep hitting a man on the head. Amazing that they then expect him to carry his own cross, the cross beam. Well, as they are going towards the cross, people are mocking. The crowd's all whipped up, crucifying, killing. He's an imposter. And so they're taking him. They're mocking him. They're hitting him. They're making fun of him. Imagine in your last moments of life to have no one to comfort you, but everybody to make fun of you. So he gets there. Simon carries the cross. They get to Golgotha. We pick up in John. We pick up verse 16, 1916. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. Now, you need the other narrative to say he started to carry it, but he didn't reach it. He needed help, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. 
It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Now, this was despite the Jews because Pilate hated them. He, he could care less because he was afraid he was killing an innocent man. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was outside the city limits of Jerusalem. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Most likely by the time he was on the cross, he was totally stripped naked. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. Remember, his mother made this garment. Uh, So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. Could you imagine watching your son be crucified? It'd be bad enough to watch them die of leukemia. It'd be bad enough to die of cancer, but of crucifixion? None of us would want to be there. But his mother's there, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene, the great sinful woman. Sinners have been standing at the cross ever since. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. Nine o'clock in the morning. To three o'clock at noon. Only six hours. He's on the cross. The normal death period for a crucified person was three days. Sometimes longer. So Christ dies quickly. Uh, He's nailed to the cross. And uh, when he's there. The first cry from the cross is Luke 23, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Talking of the men that were dropping him into the hole in the ground. Usually the cross was about two feet out of the ground. They had a wooden piece that you could stand on because most crucified people died from asphyxiation. Not bleeding, but what they would do is they would get there And they'd start out like this, and then they'd begin to slump. And in the slumping, and the slumping, and the drooping, they couldn't get enough oxygen. Because to straighten out took strength and pain. And so they keep just falling forward, and that's what usually killed them, the asphyxiation. 
cut off the air. So, while they're there, the soldiers drop him into the ground. And uh, while they're doing this, the soldiers begin to gamble over his garments. Imagine, the only thing I possess in life that my mother made me, I'm watching while I'm dying, men gamble for. No dignity. While this is happening at the cross, this, they begin to mock him. And this is what they said. You said you could save others. Why don't you save yourself? Come on, king. You keep saying you can save. Save yourself. Could he have saved himself? I could call on angelic powers. I can call on omnipotence. I can just declare myself. I could fly to heaven now, but in the mockery. You know, it's really hard if a guy's punching you, punching you, do something, do something, and all the time you know you got the power, but the test is I can't use my power against him because I'm really here to bless him. I didn't come here to show what omnipotence can do. I'm going to burn up this planet someday. I'm going to burn up the universe. Don't think I couldn't do it right now. But this is omnipotence restrained by love. I didn't come to destroy sinners. I came to save them. And if I get even, it's all over. And so, while he's there, a conversation begins at the cross. These two thieves, two criminals, to be crucified, they had to be murderers. They had to be bad, bad boys. Because even Roman citizens were prohibited from being crucified. Most likely Jews. And this is the worst form of death that you can suffer in that time. And they start this conversation. This one thief, he joins and says, yeah, well, yeah, save yourself. Who do you think you are? And, and making fun and no respect. And another thief said, uh, Wait, 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 wait. This is an innocent man. This is a good man. This is a righteous man. We are dying for our wrong. He is dying for no wrong. You heard Pilate five times he's not guilty. This is a rigged trial. This is a rigged crucifixion. The Jewish leaders hate him. They're against him. He's broken no civil law. He's not worthy of the death penalty in such a death. And so this argument gets going, and all of a sudden the one thief says, You know, Lord, I'm here because I deserve to be. But you know, I believe you are a king, and I believe you've got a kingdom. I'd like to make a request, dear king. What's that? When you come into your kingdom, not ruled by the Roman Empire, would you remember me? And Jesus said, I'll see you today in paradise. Never gave an offering. Never became a deacon. Never jumped through ten. Who He couldn't even fill out our doctrinal statement. Nobody can go to heaven that easy. Well, talk it over with him when you see him. I hope you make it. He's there. We'll look at why he's there later. So, he said, I'll let you go with me. And then, in John 19, Jesus looks down. Think of this. 
He's the most self-forgetful person in all the universe. Uh, On the way to the cross, the daughters of Jerusalem are weeping and wailing. And he says, stop, daughters. Don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Rather weep for what's coming in 70 AD when the Romans are going to come in and burn this city and it's going to crucify many of you. Don't weep for me. And then they're at the cross. You're on the cross only six hours. You look down and say, who's going to take care of my mother? And he makes arrangements for his mother for the rest of his life. John, the apostle, I want you to take my mom and take care of her the rest of her life. And John did. Behold your son, behold your mother. And that day he formed a new union between Mary and John the beloved. Amazing. Now it comes at 12 o'clock noon. And when 12 o'clock noon comes, the sun is blotted out. It's as though God shed his garment and he darkened the universe. I don't want anyone to see what's going on now but me and the sun. This is between us and I'm going to abandon him for a short period. And he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. The mocker says, he's crying for Elijah. Eli, Eli, look at there. He wants Elijah to come. Didn't know he was saying Psalms 22.1. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Well, come back to it. After a while, in John, it says, as the afternoon began to wear on, he said, I am thirsty. So to quench his thirst, uh, they put a sponge to his mouth, and in that sponge was nothing but vinegar. Now, I like vinegar. You cannot eat corned beef and cabbage without vinegar. You can't eat cabbage without vinegar, Right? But if I'm thirsty, vinegar, how could vinegar ever quench that tart taste? It was a mockery. Put it up on a sponge. He's up two feet there. And he gets a little in the mouth. No quenching. But he says, I'm, I'm thirsty. And then after a while, he finally says these words, it is finished. And in John's narrative, it just says he dies. But, see, you have to go to Luke 23 where it says, In a loud voice, in a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I want to just quickly, then let me tell you what, when he did that. At that time, when he said, I commit my spirit to you, the temple veil rent from top to bottom, the earthquake, rocks split, And dead people came out of the graves. It said these same dead people for three days, I don't know where they hung out, but after three days they went back into the city and showed people to him. I got resurrected the day he he died. The graves even opened up to let me out. said, this is the resurrection and the life you just crucified. 
No wonder the soldiers, after this happened, the soldiers said, This is the Son of God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you, to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station. We would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? One other note as we close out our time together today, if this broadcast and this ministry encourages you in your walk with Christ, and you happen to be looking for a church that does just that, we would invite you to contact valleybible.org. Pastor Phil is Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and while he is no longer in the pulpit, we are still very much a part of this church body. And we would invite you to come and join us for worship. For more information, again, valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864. And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 